Thanks for helping me get out of there. No, oh, they only took you because of me. Hey, I got us a real sweet deal here. We do this one job with them, we make some real money, and then we're free. What's the last time you could say that? Been a while for me too. So what's your name anyway? Chewbacca? <laughs> Alright, well, uh, you're gonna need a nickname because I ain't saying that every time. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 496, Why We Love Solo. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Han Solo to my Chewbacca, we've got Carl LeClaire. When have I ever steered you wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness, Jason, the march continues. The march to 500 episodes of the Wampa's Lair continues uh, with this one right here. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to talk about Solo, a movie you and I deeply, deeply love, which is, of course, why it is our combined number four favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Um, so yes. many, so many fun things to talk about this week. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, is when you were out here uh, visiting me in Phoenix uh, earlier this year in October, and we sat down and made these lists of our favorite Star Wars movies, this is the only one that actually shared the same spot in our our top five that we're talking about. It was number four for both of us when we we made our lists, although we were just talking beforehand. And um, if we were to make these lists again, it, it might be number three or or even higher <laughs> I know. Uh, next time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i mean at, at the end of the day this top five list i mean all five of these movies we love immensely and like we mentioned last week when we were covering empire strikes back i think empire was the only real disparity in our lists um mm-hmm. uh, but these remaining four we love them so much that they're so interchangeable in a lot of ways Absolutely. There, there's there's no way our list can go wrong from here. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so true. And um, yeah, you know, we're uh, I just have so many fun things to share with this one. I, and I think it's just let's just dive into this like it's the uh, like it's the Alkides Maelstrom. There we go. There we go. We'll, we'll just dive into it. Uh, just watch out for the maw and whatever the heck that thing with the big toothy maw is. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. 
So do yeah. you go first? Do I go first? It's hard to hear you through that app. Never mind. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really care. Uh, I'll I'll kick it off since you did last week. Um, All right. And uh, you know, uh, the you know, kind of like we when we when we decided to do this list, you know, we said we'll come up with anything of why you know why we love these movies. What what are the memories that have stayed with us? And obviously, Solo. Um, with our top five list, this is certainly the newest Star Wars movie we're going to be talking about. So obviously mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a spoiler there where th- nothing newer than Solo will be talked about, although that's only Rise of Skywalker. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I already have an incredibly huge fond memory about this, Jason. And the first thing I want to just mention is Solo is the first and to this point only Star Wars movie or movie in general that I've ever gotten an advanced screening to. Um, I got oh, to that's see, right. Yeah, I got to see. So, so, right. Like the way movies work nowadays, you know, movies always premiere on Fridays, but you have showtimes all of Thursday. You know, it used to be just like a midnight showing, but now it's like the day before a movie premieres. You can go as early as 11 a.m. usually. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got an advanced screening to see this on the Tuesday of the week it came out. So just a couple of days in advance. And it's the funniest way it came about. So obviously, right, Jason, you and I have been doing the show a long time. And even when Solo came out, we were already like year eight of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. And all that aside, Lucasfilm doesn't seem to give a a hoot about the Wampus Lair. We don't get any advanced stuff, which is is what it is. But uh, I I had a Star Wars club at the last college I had been working at. And a local Disney rep in Boston reached out to me. I have no idea how they knew that I was running a Star Wars club at our small little liberal arts school. But they were just like, hey, I see you have a Star Wars club at Emanuel College. We'd love to offer you and your students tickets, you know, to the advanced screening this coming Tuesday. And I was like, oh, nuts. And it was it was like the week after finals. So the students were all going to be gone. And I was like, Mm. oh, crap. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. So I wrote back and I. You know, to me, honesty is the best policy. And I was just like, well, unfortunately, all our students will be gone. But is there any chance I could secure a ticket for myself and a friend? And they wrote right back to me. And they're like, absolutely. Just send us your address. So, of course, I had to take my buddy, Greg. You know, he's he's about as tall as Chewbacca in comparison to me because I'm not a very large human. And Greg's not massive, but he's massive in comparison to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Greg and I went to to this advanced screening in downtown Boston and it was just so fun, right? Like I know there are several star Wars podcasters out there that get these sorts of advanced things all the time now. Um, so I'm sure there's a bit of, uh, commonality to it, but it just blew my mind. Like, obviously there were no stars there or anything like that. It wasn't a red carpet premiere, but it was just so fun to go to a star Wars movie early and like having to check, you know, put your phone in a Ziploc bag and check it before you could go into the theater. It was just this really neat, surreal experience of like, wow, I'm about to experience a star Wars movie a few days before everybody else. And that just blew my mind. I was so excited about it and, and just so, so excited to share it with my buddy, Greg, like uh, Greg is one of my favorite star Wars friends in the galaxy. So it, it was so much fun to get to, to go to this with him. And, uh, as we went in, they were handing out these really cool exclusive Star Wars solo pins. So, of course, I got the Millennium Falcon pin and uh, we got a couple of extra ones. I don't remember how, but I don't know. Greg probably flashed a beautiful smile or something. Um, and we got a couple of extras. And uh, I remember going into the movie, the build up to this movie, I was always pretty wary about him. Like, I don't know, like Han Solo is my favorite character, but it's going to be so weird seeing somebody besides Harrison fill that role. 
So just sitting down in the theater, you know, luckily because it was this advanced screening, I just had all this excitement in me as I sat down. And as soon as the movie started, those, you know, that opening crawl that's not a crawl starts and the music hits you and boom, we're just into this story. It felt like a, I mean, I just felt like, you know, like a, like, in a rodeo when they open that gate and the, the, the bull goes out going crazy. Like that's just how it felt as soon as you saw Han steal that speeder and it was just off to the races and it blew my mind in a way that a Star Wars movie hadn't really since Phantom Menace. I was just like, this is nothing like I expected and it's so much better than any of my expectations. Um, and it was just such a wild ride and I don't, I don't think I ever stopped smiling during that entire premiere. I, I just, I, I was so blown away with the humor and the heart and, and the fun to this movie. It just blew my mind. And, uh, I remember at the very end, which I had no, no, no idea that Darth Maul was going to appear when he appeared. I remember just turning to Greg and I, I, just, I think I grabbed his arm. I was like, Oh my God. And he just looked at me wide eyed as well. And it just, it just blew my mind. I, it was such a surreal experience. Um, seeing this movie that I had very mixed expectations about, um, and, uh, you know, coming off of last Jedi, which, uh, again, this is not throwing shade, but like last Jedi was the first star Wars movie ever to really kind of just disappoint me in the theaters. Um, of course that's not a judgment. Everything is subjective here. Um, so I was extra wary about solo and then just going into this, I just felt like it was such a fun ride from start to finish. Um, that every, every little nervousness I had just, it was blown away in, in the Falcons afterburners. I, I just loved the hell out of this movie from day one. Oh man. I, it's, that's so much fun. That's a, such a fun story. And I, I don't, I don't have quite that, you know, that exciting of a story, uh, for the first time I saw it, but I did go and see it in, you know, one of the big theaters in Tucson, uh, with Joey. Mm. Our, our friend um, Joey Letson and we were we were laughing we were uh, grinning from ear to ear the whole time and just like you when Darth Maul showed up on screen uh, I managed to tear my eyes away from the screen to look at Joey my mouth just hanging open in shock <laughs> and surprise and uh, and I looked over and I'm he's basically mirroring my expression right back at me like we both like same time turned and looked at each other in just shock and amazement uh mouths hanging open just oh my god you know it was fantastic <laughs> it was such a great surprise um and I'm glad that you you mentioned that because that kind of uh nicely segues into the first point I want to bring up and the fact that, you know, one of the things I really love about this movie is how it does tie in with both the prequels and the original trilogy. Mm. Um, obviously for the prequels, most importantly uh, with uh, Darth Maul and, you know, Crimson Dawn retroactively through Clone Wars um, has also been, you know, tied in with the prequels. And then, of course, we just have the Empire, uh, you know, in existence and Han's journey from being a, you know, a hope, rep, an Imperial pilot hopeful to being shoved in with the Imperial grunts. Uh, and then 
the the hinted at rebellion that Emphis Nest is working for. You know, the we have these hints and these ties to the prequels and the original trilogy, which is, you know, this movie is smack dab in the middle of those two. So it's good that we do. Um, but one of the things I do appreciate about it is that while we have these ties, other than like Darth Maul, none of them are really in your face. And it's not like, and even then that's sort of a, a cameo thing. Uh, none of these, these, these ties are detrimental to the story that they want to tell about Han and Chewbacca mm. because those characters are, are the focus. Uh, and none of these ties take away from any of that. Uh, and so we have all the, these references and these nice fun uh, winks and nods uh, to different things uh, throughout the whole movie uh, to the, the movies outside of it. But it's all done in a very balanced way. And I think of the Disney movies, it's the, the movie that does it perfectly uh, in, in that regard. You know, some of the others have some great references and great sort of nods and, and, and stuff to previous or other material out there. Uh, but I feel like Solo really got the vibe uh, and, and as to how to do that. And, did it right mm. in a way that was fun and served the story without distracting from the main focus. So I, yeah. that's one of the big things I really liked about this movie is that we did get those nice ties. It didn't feel isolated, but it didn't feel like it was super tied to anything else either. It was like, mm. Oh, it's just, like if you turned a corner, you might see something familiar, you know, like you can hear references, you can kind of get hints at things, but it's not like Panda Baba walking up into your face in room <laughs> one, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. which is, I, I'm just saying that as, as, as an example, mm -hmm. which I thought was funny, but uh, it, it's not literally a reference walking up and saying hello in your face. Um, so, but yeah, uh, I think that's one of the, the things I, I really do like about this movie. I love it when Star Wars references other material, but I also like it when it does it in this way, I think. Yeah. Uh, Solo Solo did it right, in my opinion. So. Sure. That's a great point, Jason, um, because I think something that has hampered some of the Disney Star Wars era is uh, – an over-reliance sometimes on callbacks or, or Easter eggs. Um, and, uh, and again, not, not all of them. And I know, and there are obviously a lot of Star Wars fans that that's like, they love that stuff. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so not harping on it. Uh, but I appreciate the way you're pointing it out that in solo, the central focus of this entire story is Han and Chewie at its core. Mm -hmm. That's what this story is about. And all of these things that exist that kind of tied into the larger galaxy are more periphery, right? Crimson Dawn and Darth Maul and, you know, all these other things that connect it to the, the grander story. I almost appreciate that. Like Han fumbles through all of that without knowing any of that. So it, it, it yes. kind of, pre it preserves the kind of naivete of him about the galactic scales in a new hope, right? Like he's just kind of the bumbling fool who's got a lot of good luck on his side, who's just out for himself. Um, and I think this, so this movie kind of establishes that, that he exists 
in the interconnected world of Star Wars. But throughout this story, he's choosing not to dial in, right? It's not until A New Hope that he chooses to be part of it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I remember some early criticisms from the movie. It's like, we didn't need this. We knew Han's arc from A New Hope. It's like, sure, did we, we don't need any of this at the end of the day. Like, Star Wars has kind of been a told story. Anything else is just stuff for fun, and that's great. Um, mm-hmm. But my argument and in, in, in counter to that is simply that this movie establishes why Han is the way he is in A New Hope. And because the the Han we meet in Return of the Jedi, I've I've had some really fun conversations with Brian from Serving Pink Milk, uh, a really great Star Wars podcast. He and I have had a lot of great conversations about why we love this movie so much. And uh, Brian has pointed out a few times that uh, he thinks that Solo is the perfect accompaniment to Return of the Jedi, like that the the Han Solo we meet in Return of the Jedi is hinted at in this movie, kind of a fun loving Mm. character. That we don't meet in A New Hope. We meet the cynical Han Solo in A New Hope because of the things that happen in this movie. But the Han Solo we meet again in Return of the Jedi is the Han Solo we meet throughout much of this movie. Kind of this optimistic, almost naive, lighthearted character. Um, So I think your point is really, uh, really spot on, Jason, in the sense that there are these big things going on all around the story, but Han isn't dialed into them and he chooses not to be right. at this point. Uh, so that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's choosing to just stay in his, his own lane, so to speak, uh, which is a phrase that I think is overused at this point, but I can't think <laughs> of anything else to say off the top of my head. Come on, um, Jason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, stay in you your know, hyper lane. <laughs> Right. He stays in his hyperlane. Uh, he, his goals are to get a ship and to find the girl. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have anything grander than that to get involved in. Right. You know, his, his involvement with the empire was purely out of, of practicability. You know, it, it was, it was a goal. It was a, a means to an end. Um, and the end is always get back to Corellia Get get a ship, get back to Corellia, find Kira. Yep. Uh, and then he gets wrapped up in this smuggling heist of an adventure. So, yeah. Yeah. But what's your second thing that you want to bring up? Well, I know this is something that you're going to want to talk about, too. So uh, I'll just bring it up now. It, it's, the, it's the soundtrack. It's the music to Solo. Um, I, I think this, for me, it, it's, it's it, as far as watching the movie. So... When we talk about Star Wars music, um, obviously, right, Jason, you and I both love to talk about Star Wars music. Um, And I think when we're talking about like isolated, like listening to them as soundtrack experiences, Solo probably falls two or three for me behind Phantom Menace and and, uh, Empire Strikes Back. But when it comes to when I'm watching the movie, which which movies have the best score as I'm watching, Solo is possibly number one for me. Um, It might edge out Empire for me. because this music is just so good to me. It, starting with at its core is this brand new theme for Han Solo written by John Williams. Um, and, and I love this theme so much, right? It's got this A and B section. We've got that, you know, we played this as we started the show. You know, it starts with that very heroic Han Solo theme. He, he is a hero. Um, it's, 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 it's this indication from John Williams that he will become this hero, but then the B section, which is actually my favorite part of the theme. And it's the, it's the part of the theme that plays at the beginning of the movie. 
it's it's kind of referred to as the searching theme, right? It's this character who's searching and longing for something. Um, and that's my favorite part of the theme. But it's really cool that they're 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 just kind of spliced together and, and in a way i feel like john williams is ultimately telling the story of this whole movie in just one piece which is what makes han the hero is he's this character always searching and longing for something more um that's what makes him the hero is is in that quest for for something more and something uh, something better in life he becomes a hero um and and of course the John Williams piece is beautiful, but huge props to John Powell. I, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. every new composer they've brought in since John Williams has done excellent work. I mean, Michael Giacchino's Rogue One soundtrack is absolutely perfect and beautiful and wonderful. Um, you know, Ludwig Göransson has done Gorenson. all sorts of beautiful yeah. things with Mandalorian. Natalie Natalie Holt with Kenobi has done some great things. Everybody has done something new and awesome. Uh, John Powell just he. He captures the feeling of this movie so beautifully in his score with so much of the music is so adventurous, right? It it really feels like a fun serial, which is at its core what Star Wars kind of was originated out of. Uh, So he gives us the sensibility from the music that we're on an adventure, that we're having fun. And also there is this very beautiful sentimental music. I I love the Han and Kira theme. It's so good. Um, And we've we've talked about this soundtrack a couple of times in previous episodes, Jason. So I won't repeat all those details again. But uh, for the for the sake of just pointing out the fact that we've got we the the new Indiana Jones movie is right around the corner. The Han Solo and Kira love theme sounds very similar to the Indiana Jones and Marion love theme from. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I just think is really cool. I don't know if that's intentional or not, um, but there's there's a same sense of sentimentality to it. It's a very romantic theme. The Han and Kira theme is also a little there's a little bit of uh, uh, a sense of trepidation in the music like that. This isn't going to work because obviously it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the music is just it's so beautiful. I, I love it so much. Um, and I think the one thing John Powell does so perfectly in the school of John Williams is he uses the music to tell a story, um, right? Yeah. George Lucas was always very adamant, especially when talking about a new hope that, you know, these are silent films, you know, you, you should be able to turn off the dialogue and just listen to the music and watch the visuals to get the sense of the story. I think Solo does that perfectly. John Powell uses the music to convey the emotion of each and every scene. And it's a great encapsulation that this is a fun adventure story with tremendous heart. Um, That's what the music really captures for us. Um, So, yeah, I I just absolutely love the heck out of the score. Um, And and before you make your point about it, I'm cheating here for a second, Jason, because I wanted to squeeze this in as well. And it has literally nothing to do with the music, but I'm just throwing it in because I didn't know where else to put it. (laughs) So I'm doing it now. Something else I love about this movie is the opening crawl. That's not an opening crawl. I Mm, absolutely love it. It's in the same blue font as an opening crawl would be. Um, oh wait, nope, that's not true. A, the font is in yellow. That's a long time so ago in a galaxy yes. far, yep. far away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to point real quick. 
I love that the movie starts with a thesis statement. Like if Solo was an essay, it it's it's opening paragraph, right? It's thesis statement, which is telling you the purpose of this story. The line um, that this is a story about a man who yearns to fly among the stars. That's that's Han's whole purpose in this story, right? Like you just insinuated in a moment ago, Jason, about how for much of the story, really all he cares about is getting a ship, getting Kira, and that's it. But his 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 quest is even bigger than that. It's to just yeah. be out among the stars. So I just want to point that out because the, the opening crawls of of all nine saga films are ultimately just to give us a quick setup and propel the motion of the story. Right? They always end right. with a dot dot dot. <laughs> um, and I think with Solo starting with this, what I call the crawl that's not a crawl. Um, is it, it gives us a quick sensibility of the state of the galaxy, specifically on Corellia, and then it tells us Han's purpose. Han's purpose is to be out among the stars. That's what he's after. That's what this movie is hoping to achieve. And spoiler alert, it does it. <laughs> it definitely does. Uh, the, this movie delivers on everything it promises, um, at, which is fantastic. Uh, including the music, and I will I will go ahead and talk about the music now since since we're on this topic because <laughs> yes that that is something I wanted to bring up. It is one of my favorite aspects of this movie. Period. Um, in terms of just album listening experiences, uh, the Phantom Menace might be the only one that I like more than this. But um, I did just listen to both the standard. Mm. Uh, release and the extended release today while I was working um, and thinking about talking about the movie today. So, um, and it, none of it got old, uh, even though I heard the same pieces twice uh, in the space of just a few hours. So <laughs> like, I love this. I love this music. It, it's so good. Like, and, and you're right in the movie, it serves it serves what is on screen beautifully. Uh, the the theme by John Williams is amazing. Your favorite part of that is the B section. My favorite part of that is the A section. That's pretty par for the course for the two of us. Um, <laughs> but I think what I love about it is that John Powell uses that theme and builds yes. the the tone and the sound for the whole rest of the soundtrack off of it in a way that I'm not, you know, we've had a couple instances um, in particular where Ludwig Goranson made uh, the theme for Boba Fett. And then somebody else, I forget who uh, off the top of my head finished the rest of the Boba Fett soundtrack. Um, But we've had a few instances where John Williams or someone else starts off with the theme and John Williams did it again for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Um, and then somebody else finishes it. I think John Powell matches the tone uh, and the the story of the theme with the rest of the soundtrack better than anybody else who's done that in Star Wars. Um, I, I don't think it even comes close. So uh, you don't... this The rest of the score is so good it's hard to tell where the theme ends and the rest of the score begins um, in that, in that vein, like it could have all been written by the same person. Mm-hmm. I'll just put that out there. I think, 
I think that's a very impressive feat by John Powell to to match the rest of the score to that theme seamlessly. Um, now, to get into the movie, the, the music in and of itself, my favorite uh, track uh, for this whole thing is the train heist. I love the train heist music uh, and the marauders arrive and chicken in the pot. Like I could listen to, uh, and of course, flying with Chewie, those four tracks, flying with Chewie, train heist, uh, marauders arrive and chicken in the pot. Those four tracks add on the theme to the beginning of that. Those five, I could listen to that on a loop all day long. Yeah. Like that's my favorite my favorite music of this movie but everything is just so good it's so exciting uh it's fun it's adventurous it's romantic uh when it needs to be and it's just perfect for the story being told and you can't ask for anything else from music uh in my opinion uh for a film like this so yeah uh, the score for solo stands among the rest of the scores for the movies uh, without any anybody needing to try and prop it up at all. It, it stands that high and it can uh, match <laughs> match any of the other scores in my opinion. So but yeah, I, I freaking love the music in this movie and I, I will probably listen to the album again tonight when I'm out walking just because <laughs> I've had so much fun watching the movie and listening to the music the last few days. So uh, that's how much I love it. So it's I'll, amazing. Uh, I'll turn it back over to you before <laughs> I geek out yeah, yeah. more and get even more incoherent about the music. <laughs> I, I wish I could think off the top of my head. What are the like? If, if if you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I'd love to hear more of what you think about the music, because we've we've done at least one full episode just on this this the music of Solo. Um, it, it was probably back mm-hmm. during the year it came out in 2018. Um, but yeah, it's just such yeah. a great score. Um, and I remember joking about this with a couple of other friends on on our social media back when it came out that. It was it was hard to listen to the track Reminiscence Therapy while driving and not speed very fast. <laughs> you know, the the, tra- the track of music <laughs> yes. that plays during the Kessel Run, which has, you know, uh, hints of uh, the music of them escaping the Death Star and then going into the, the asteroid field piece from Empire. Uh, it, it was hard to listen to that. Mm-hmm. But for me, the hardest one was... Um, Oh my gosh, which track was it? It was uh, Corellia Chase, which is the music of Han being chased through the streets of Corellia mm. when he's got the speeder. Every time that that piece came on when I was driving, I just inevitably just pushed the gas to the floor. And I was like, whoops, <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> um, uh, Moloch is behind me. <laughs> it's so, high octane. Yeah, yeah, it's right. so good. <laughs> so freaking good. And you're you're right. You're right. Listening to that the, that score while driving is a dangerous proposition. Um, I'm pretty sure it came up while we were driving out to Sedona, and I think I I sped up a bit during that, if I recall correctly. But um, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Yeah, but it's, anyway, it's great. Uh, what, what's the next thing you want to bring up about this movie? I I really want to highlight the fact that. Something I love so much in this movie is that I think it's got some of the best blaster fights in all of Star Wars. Um, yeah. I think when you think of uh, action sequences in in 
the history of Star Wars, I think some of the quickest things to jump to mind for for a lot of folks are lightsaber duels, which they should be right there. The lightsaber is the iconic Star Wars weapon. Um, but I think Solo has some of the coolest non lightsaber action in all of Star Wars. Um, and, and highlighting specifically the starting with the train heist. It's such a fun sequence. And I love when Enfys attacks the way like she just kind of tears into the train and Han and Chewie are just kind of this sloppy mess that fall to the side. And Beckett has like a really cool shoulder roll. Uh, I, I like that <laughs> early in the movie, this action sequence develops something about the characters as well. Um, Beckett mm-hmm. is kind of, he's a seasoned fighter. He, he's been through some scrapes. He knows how to respond to these things. Whereas Han and Chewie are a little bit sloppier, especially Han. <laughs> he's kind of a sloppy mess, just kind of fumbling his way through this. Uh, so it makes sense that there's this sense of idolization towards Beckett um, for mm-hmm. Han. And it, it, I, I and then and then I love when Enfys jumps onto the train and goes toe to toe with Beckett. It's cool to see a blaster versus not a lightsaber, but something that can also deflect blasters. The, the I love scenes like this in Star Wars and in any other movie where you ultimately Beckett versus Enfys Nest is kind of what happens when you take a brawler and put him against a trained fighter. Um, and mm-hmm. time and time again, more often than not, the trained fighter is going to win. Um, you know, Beckett is bested, not because he doesn't know how to fight or he doesn't know his way around a scrape, but Enfys has been in scrapes as well and has been trained. Um, you know, I think right. that's, uh, I, I just, I, I, I love when movies give us those, those instances of like what happens when somebody who's been in a bunch of scrapes and knows how to brawl takes on a fighter who's well-trained and usually the well-trained fighter wins. Um, well, there are exceptions because absolutely. as we know, uh, Beckett is the one who killed Aura Singh. Well, Aura technically Singh. the fall killed her, but he right. pushed her. Well, so, Aura Singh's know. not, a tra- <laughs> she's also not a trained combat person. Like we learned by the end of the movie that Enfys has been trained probably since she was a young child, how to right. formally fight. So Aura Singh is, you know, she's like Beckett. She's a brawler. So it's just brawler versus brawler. Um, so I, I always just, I always like that, that kind of dichotomy. Um, when the, when those sorts of instances occur in star Wars. Um, but for, but for me, even more than the train heist, I think one of my favorite action sequences in star Wars period, full stop is the fight on Kessel. Uh, you know, the, as they're leaving and it's a very typical Western trope in, in, in Western star uh, in Western movies where you've got the heroes kind of surrounding the wagon, protecting the wagon as they're trying to escape, um, you know, and we've seen this in other Star Wars projects as well. Uh, but I just, I just really enjoy it and getting to see the skill set of Beckett, Han, and Lando as they're defending the wagon. Um, it's, it's just such a fun and exciting sequence. And you know, when I think of action scenes in Star Wars that really get me like excited and out of my seat, I, you know, more often than not, I'm thinking of Duel of the Fates or. Luke, mm-hmm. Luke launching himself at Vader and Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, moments like that. But this is one of those moments I put right up there with it and it has no lightsabers at all. It's just the excitement. You know, as soon as Lando says Han and throws him that blaster and he catches it so expertly. I mean, from there forward, it's just like, holy crap, this is so fun. Um, and, and I just I just love the choreography of it. Um, and uh, 
you know, it, it, and in the heart of that scene, again, I, I think what makes Solo work so well for me, and I, even on, so Jason, as you know, right, I've been tracking all the Star Wars movies I watch every year from May 4th to May 4th, and I started this back in 2018, so which was the year Solo came out. So I, I actually know how many times I've watched Solo. Uh, would you like to know what it's at as of tonight? Yes. Six, yes 62. I, <laughs> I have seen Solo how, 62 how, times. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, get a life, Carl. But let me tell you, I'm living a great one. Um, so, uh, you know, every time I watch this movie, this scene grabs me. And 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 part of it is, again, it's, it's it, what makes Solo work so well for me is that it's a super fun movie that always has some level of heart buried in it. Mm-hmm. And even in this scene, which is just pure action and, and excitement. It's one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, which is, of course, Lando running out to rescue L3, Lando getting shot, and then Han choosing to run back and rescue Lando. This is this pivotal scene where Chewie chooses Han. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important to the to the uh, to these characters in this particular scene. Chewie recognizes that this is the type of person Han is. He is somebody who goes back for people in need and Chewie recognizes that that's somebody worth protecting. Um, so he's willing to put his own quest on the back burner in order to protect this noble young Han. Uh, so I, I love the heart of that scene. I love the music that plays in there. It's one of my favorite statements of the Han Solo theme uh, is, is him running out to, to help Lando um, and, and cap it all off with uh, what is, Without doubt, Jason, my favorite shot in any movie in film history, which is the shot of Han Solo backing up the ramp, just shooting, uh, you know, is, is, is the music swells and Han backs up the ramp and the camera follows him up that ramp. That is my favorite single shot ever in any movie in my life. So it's just like, it's like, oh, this, how could this get better? How could this get better? And I'm like, oh my God, it got the best ever. <laughs> it just, and it's so, and, 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 and ultimately that scene ends with Han getting Lando's consent to take the controls of the Falcon. And he runs down, then the camera follows him down the hallway as he does that super sexy jump into the pilot seat. So it's like that whole sequence to me is just nonstop adrenaline and, and at its core, it's it's got this tremendous heart. So these action sequences in solo are not only just fun. They also often develop who the characters are. Right. Absolutely. No, that's, that's such a great point because it's like, you're setting me up, Carl, uh, for, (laughs) for all of my points. Uh, the, the thing I want to talk about next is specifically the train heist, uh, because it is part, it's my favorite sequence in the entire movie uh, as in terms of action sequences, uh, adventure, excitement, uh, Jedi craves, not these things, but Jason does. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and this gives it to me uh, in spades. So uh, it starts off, of course, with the music. Uh, it, it's, it, it literally sounds like a train going down the tracks when the music mm. starts, which is part of what I love about it. And, you know, the challenge is first just to get on the train and to secure the the correct car. Then they have to defeat the stormtroopers and we get a nice little statement of the the, uh, Imperial theme from A New Hope. 
there. And then we get rid of them. And all of a sudden, Memphis Nest shows up. And it's, and then we trip the sensor and the Imperial probes are activated. And it just goes, it gets, the, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. And the tension gets ramped up higher and higher and higher the whole uh, scene. And the great thing about it is that it's really the first moment. We've talked about this in the past, Carl. This is, there is a moment in this scene where Han steps up as a hero, Mm -hmm. you know, and and takes that first step as the good guy that Kira calls him later. When uh, Rio is shot up in the hauler and he has to jump on the hauler and, you know, take the controls uh, in order to save everyone else. Um, And it's got one of the best statements of the solo theme right there. Uh, And, and I think all of that combined, and like you said, with the, the whole Kessel sequence in the middle of these high octane, exciting, adventurous action sequences you get character growth and development. You know, you see Han have to step up. You see him realize it's not just a game as Rio dies in the seat next to him. You get the, you know, the tragedy and the relationship developed between Beckett and Val as she goes out on the bridge to, you know, make sure the rest of them can get away. Uh, and, you know, Ch- Chewie is starting to come into his own and he and Han have this connection is, you know, Han saves him from being smashed into the side of the mountain, uh, you know, as he's about to fall off, you know, all, all of these little moments sprinkled throughout an action sequence that's exciting and, you know, just sort of cinematic goodness. Um, and I think that's one of my that's that's why all of this is just it's such a highlight to me from this movie. And it's probably, as I said, my favorite sequence in the entire movie, period. Mm. Uh, it's a very high bar. Uh, the rest of the movie definitely, you know, doesn't let me down at all. But this is the highlight for me. Uh, so that's for sure. I know I know how much you love this train high sequence as you should it's so so good <laughs> it's so freaking amazing carl it, it really is um oh man anyway what's next for you um so now i'm getting into like the the deeper things that make this movie so incredible to me and the first one i want to point out mm-hmm. uh what i love so much about this movie is han's earnestness um just uh the reason I wanted to mention that opening crawl that's not a crawl um, is that that statement about what Han is after, this desire to fly among the stars, propels him into everything in this particular story. Uh, he mm. just kind of – he just runs full steam ahead towards his dreams and fumbles through anything that gets in the way, right? Um, and I think for some people, Han Solo is just kind of the idiot <laughs> who's just – you know, who just gets lucky. But to me, what makes Han admirable and what makes him heroic is the fact that he has he has this sensibility about himself that he deserves to fly among the stars. It's not just that he desires it. He also believes that he deserves it. 
And, and I think that that means so much to me. It's not because like, yes, Han is definitely a, a cocky character and that cockiness is even more pronounced when we, when we meet him in the original trilogy. Um, but I think the cockiness comes out more and more in the later years because oftentimes, I mean, Han's cockiness is partly also covering some of his own insecurities. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that's often true of very cocky people. They tend to be actually somewhat insecure people who just bluster their way through that. Um, but I think <laughs> yes. when we meet Han in this movie is he's a character or again, we don't know the specifics of where he grew up and, and why he's running with Proxima's gang. Like he clearly had a father figure that he ran out on for whatever reason. Again, that's never fleshed out. Um, but we know that it must have not have been a very pleasant life for him to run off and join something like Proxima's gang. Um, and in spite of all of that, Han is this character who believes that he deserves something better. And I think that that is so freaking admirable. That's what I what I love so much about the character in this movie is it. It's not entitlement. It's not this like pretentious entitlement to like, I deserve the best because I just do. It's more of this deeper conviction where Han recognizes his life has been really hard and he just is so damn optimistic that his life can be better and should be better, that he'll do whatever it mm-hmm. takes to realize that dream. That's that's where I first really fell in love with this movie, Jason, besides just kind of the surface things about how fun it is. And again, those things are important too, but as we just take one step deeper into the story, I think that was my first point of connection is, is – I, I found this character incredibly admirable and uh, and and worth looking up to because it's like, wow, I, there's something really wonderful in that quality of believing that we deserve to have our dreams come true. And that's what Han encapsulates to me in this story is someone who has really big dreams for himself and believes that he deserves to receive them. Um, I just think that's so freaking beautiful. And I, and I love that so much. Um, in this story. Um, and, you know, we see so many admirable qualities to him in this movie, in that pursuit to, to fulfill his dreams. Uh, we also learn that he's an incredibly loyal character. He, he really mm-hmm. cares about the people in his world. Um, and that's established right in the start of the movie when he is violently separated from Kira and he stands on the other side of that wall shouting, I'll come back. I'll come back. This is this is the type of quality that Chewbacca sees and recognizes and loves about Han. And this, when the people Han cares about are in trouble, he will come back. And you know where we see that again, Jason? In the original trilogy. Where? At the end of A New Hope, when he comes back to help Luke at Yavin, when he goes out into the, the wilds of Hoth to rescue Luke, that's the type of guy Han is. He goes back into hell itself to rescue and care for the people he cares about. Um, I love that about him. And, and we see that established here with his promise to Kira right at the beginning of the movie. He's an incredibly loyal character. Um, and I think that's something that makes him similar to Chewbacca. Um, and uh, the the other thing I wanted to mention is um, I think the scene that really – is the heart and soul of this movie. And it's, it's definitely my favorite scene in all of solo and, and, and probably in my top five scenes in star Wars 
Um, you want to take a guess at what it might be, Jason? Mm, there's two options. Uh, I'm going to say it's it's when uh, he he lets Chewie go in the mines on Kessel. Go no. after the Wookiees. Nope, but that is a good one. Okay. Uh, the other one I was thinking was was their scene together on the balcony uh, of the ship uh, where they're introducing each other to each other. Close one too, but it's actually it's, – it's sandwiched between them. It's the campfire scene. Um, oh, yes, the of camp- course. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I was going to play that as our intro clip for the, ep- for the episode, but it's, it's a bit of a long scene. So I decided – I actually decided to go with the balcony scene because that's also a great one. Um, but the campfire scene was, uh, when I watched that movie, especially on repeat viewings and, uh, side note, solo is also the most I've ever seen a movie in theaters. I saw it 15 times in theaters. Um, it's also the only movie star Wars movie you and I have seen together in theaters, which was super fun. We saw it in San Francisco together. Um, but, uh, I love the campfire scene so much because, it's I, I love how the scene kind of begins with Rio asking Han, what are you after? What's driving you? And and Han, had, Han doesn't admit it at first, but it's Vale who kind of picks up on it. She's like, oh, it's probably a girl. And and Han kind of has this like it's a scene that both endears him to Chewie and Vale when he's like, you know, I made this promise. I'm going to get a ship and I'm going to go back for her. like Vale. Vale recognizes the 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 simple beauty of that. Chewie certainly is captured by that. Um, but the scene has always stood out to me when Han is looking across that campfire and Vale says to him, you know, everybody needs somebody. And then she and Beckett share a kiss. And it's this beautiful close up shot of, of Han's face lit by the warmth of the fire, just with this beaming grin. Cause I think what Han has seen in that moment is his dreams realized he want you know, he sees in Beckett and Vale. His his hoped for future with him and Kira running across the galaxy, having adventures together. Um, right. So I think when in this scene, Han sees his dreams realized. It's like, hey, if they can do it, I can do it, too. Um, it's just such a beautiful scene and uh, a, a reminder of that earnestness of Han. Like he's not going to stop until his dreams become realized. And and that's what endeared me to this movie in particular, and Han more specifically. Uh, Han was always my favorite character as a kid. This movie and scenes like this are what made me, as an adult, say this is exactly why. I identify with that, that that desire to to make your dreams come true. Like that's that's what this movie's all about to me. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And I... Oh man, I love that. I, I love that because it it does give us sort of that that look under the hood of who Han is, um, and what. I, and I think uh, you said Ben from the the other podcast, uh, Brian. Did you talk about this movie, Brian. Brian sorry, yeah, Brian. Um, I think Brian has it right that solo is is a really good look at at the han we see in return of the jedi uh return of the jedi is almost a return to form yeah for han solo like and and this is the real han that we're re- that we're getting to see in in solo itself uh, uh 
because this is before he's gotten cynical and the world has has just crapped all over him uh and and he's gotten miserable and grumpy and you know chewie's still there the falcon's still there but that's it you know uh and and this is this is where he's still full of hope and excitement and and looking for for dreams to become reality and and that's a big you know it's a big driver in a lot of of these movies and a lot of young people uh as they start striking out on their own and figuring out what they're doing in life uh and and i think it's great that we get all of that uh kind of on display here for han solo and we see that there's a reason why he takes a shine to Luke in A New Hope. Uh, and it's because, in some ways, he was that farm boy, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years earlier. Uh, you know, so he's, he might see a bit of himself in Luke. Uh, and and mm. this is where we get to see all Ooh, of that. That's a great connection, Jason. Holy shit. (laughs) I can't believe I've never quite picked up on that. But that's such a good point. You know, there is such an overlap between that kind of naive, optimistic, head in the clouds, New Hope Luke to to Han in this movie. That's that's a great point, Jason. I I don't know how I've never put that together. That's awesome. Yeah, Han isn't quite as naive, um, but he definitely does have a lot of optimism and have his head in the clouds sometimes. You know, it, like when he says to Kira, we're going to win. And she's like, you don't know everything. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's like, I know enough. He's like, she's like, mm, and I, and I, I know more. more than you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, but uh, yeah, the, all of that. So, oh man, that's, that's a great point. It's a great point. Um, one of the, the big things that I love about this movie is just, the relationship between Han and Chewie. Mm. Uh, it's just such a beautiful thing to watch it. It start and then grow progressively through the movie. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a moment of survival getting off of Mimban. They, they kind of start all of this off with the, the train heist that goes bad. And then they're thrown into this adventure just to try and, you know, save their skins. And through this adventure, they become more than just pilot and co-pilot. They become best friends. And and it's obvious to the people around them, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Beckett seems to, to, to see that connection between the two of them. Kira definitely sees it and obviously you know as we were on Savarine and things are beginning to go down and wrap up with Dryden Voss it's Kira who keeps trying to push Han towards Chewie because she knows she's not going to be there for Han and she knows Han needs somebody and Chewie's the kind of person that Han needs because she's not that per- the person that he wants anymore right that's that's her uh her point of view on that. And, you know, there's just a ton of great Han and Chewie moments throughout this whole thing. A couple of my favorites, uh, when they're escaping Kessel and 
you know, we finally get Han and Chewie as pilot and co-pilot on the Millennium Falcon. Uh, when, when Kira's like, Chewie, get in here. And, uh, you know, he takes over for her as the co-pilot um, because he knows a lot more about flying ships than she does. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, there's the great moment in the, the tunnels of, of Kessel where uh, he, Han, gives Chewie the, the weapon and tells him to, to go help his people, the other Wookiees. And they have that, that lovely little shared moment there before Chewie goes off to save the Wookiees and Han goes off to continue the mission. And I love that because... Uh, you know, Han knows that's so important to Chewie that, you know, he's not mad that Chewie wants to go. He's mad that Chewie might not come back. Yeah. Uh, but he knows it's important enough to Chewie that he's going to support him in it. And then, of course, you know, he tells Beckett, you know, Chewie's gone. Is he dead? <laughs> no, he has something know. to do. Is he coming, Is he coming back? back? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> 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 and Han is Han has to be okay with that in order to keep going on with the mission. Mm. So, and you know, it's something if Chewie doesn't come back, it's something he's going to, you know, regret and probably grieve later. But in the moment, he has to just go on, move on and uh believe that Chewie will be okay. Uh, and of course, Chewie does come back with the rest of the Wookiees and they help out and they're instrumental in getting the coaxium on the Millennium Falcon. So, but yeah, the, there's a bunch of great Han and Chewie moments in this movie. And uh, I, I love the sort of scam they pull over at, on Lando at the very, very end. Uh, they're sitting across the card table and Han is is trying to appear confident and he gives Chewie a peek at his cards and Chewie goes, oh, you know, and you know, <laughs> Chewie's like, oh, like, oh no, I can't believe you're, you're going all in on this. But, uh, you know, the, the two of them uh, getting the Falcon from Lando is, is so good. Uh, and I love that sort of epilogue that we get at the end of this movie between the two of them. And then, yeah, of course, the final shot is the two of them taken off into the stars. Yeah. Just the t- them and the Falcon, and that's the way it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that's perfect because for my final point, that the main thing I love about this movie is the unconventional love story that is Solo. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it is a love story, but it's a love story between Han and Chewie. Um, that's, that's the driving force of the movie. Uh, and I think the, kind of the beautiful theme of it is that sometimes we find what we need, not necessarily what we want. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's something that's established throughout the story is, you know, after kind of the opening prologue on, on Corellia, where Han is separated from Kira, and then what drives him for much of the, the, the next bit of the movie is his desire to get back and rescue Kira, you know, and, rest, and free her. Um that's who he thinks his life is supposed to be with. Um, but all the mm-hmm. while his, his, his life is being established with somebody else, something he never would have expected. Um, and one of the first things I want to highlight on that is, is 
I absolutely love how this movie uh, reshaped the old legend story of Han and Chewie. Um, right. Mm. You know, for those of you, if you don't know the legend story, uh, the way it kind of pl- played out in legends is Han, you know, Han does join the Imperial Academy, just like he does in the movie, becomes an Imperial officer and he's stuck doing guard duty while they're transporting these Wookiee slaves. And one of his uh, Imperial uh, superiors is like, electro whipping a bunch of the Wookiees and, and Han steps in and shoots him and and helps that Wookiee escape who turns out to be Chewbacca. And in light of that, Chewie swears a life debt, right? Uh, you you saved my life, so I pledge my life to you, which I've always found weirdly problematic. Like he's freed from slavery to become an indentured servant. Like it's kind of messed up. Um, so I like how this movie does away with that. Um, they They together rescue each other right it's not han saving Chewie and then Chewie giving his life to han um and i've heard you know i've heard the arguments well Chewie giving him a life debt you know that's just a fraction of a wookiee's life still though it's messed up to go from slavery to inventored servitude (laughs) like that's not cool to me um so i like that this story gets rid of that um you know it it, I, i i right like i don't like hate that legend story it's fine i've accepted it for years it's 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 an important story, but I think this is a better story um, that they working together, get themselves out of a sticky situation, or should I say muddy? Um, and, uh, you know, what happens in this story is they mutually choose one another. Um, yeah. And and we never hear anything about a life debt. And to be fair, in the original trilogy, never once is it told that Chewie has a life debt to Han. That's always from ancillary material, right? It's it's from the right. comics and the novels that came out after. Um, whether or not Chewie has a life debt or not, canonically speaking, as far as I know, has not been established. Um, that's all Legends canon. Uh, so I like in this movie that what's ultimately established is that Chewie sees something special and wonderful about Han and chooses him. And Han accepts that friendship. Um, so there's a lot more of a mutuality to it in this new canon story, which I, I, I for one, really appreciate. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's this story about two people finding one another while not looking for one another and falling for each other. To me, those are always right. the best love stories. Um, and, it, you know, it's you're not even in my own lived experience, the best time to fall in love is when you're not looking for it or not expecting it. And, um, and I think that's what happens in this movie is Han is so focused on Kira that he doesn't necessarily right away realize that he and Chewie are falling in love with each other. <laughs> and I really love that. <laughs> and I think the perfect moment to, in, in like a scene you just mentioned, Jason is that scene while they're doing the Kessel run and, you know, Kira comes into the cockpit with Chewie and Han says, could use a co-pilot. Right. And he indicates Kira. That's who he wants. That's who he thinks he needs. When she mm-hmm. takes the reins, she doesn't have the wherewithal to to do this. Um, it, 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 that's not crapping on Kira. It's more about but Chewie does. So when she, like you said, like when she gives up that seat, Chewie, ta- you know, take the seat. 
when Chewie takes the seat, we get that statement of the rebel theme, you know, indicating their future together. Han looks over at him, gives that wonderful little smile, and then we get that exterior shot of the Falcon and the light comes on. You know, like the big headlight comes on. It's it's yep. it's it's symbolism that hits you on the head. It's these two belong together. And when Chewie is seated at Han's side, the light comes on. He can see more clearly with Chewie at his side. Um yeah. And that's that's what I love about it. And and conversely, you know, Chewie sees you know Han run back for Lando. He sees his commitment to Kira. I think these are the things about Han that Chewie really admires. Um, and Han really sees Chewie as a person. You know, going again back to the campfire scene after Han explains what he's after. I love the way Alden acts this scene. Alden physically turns his body more to Chewie and he says, what about you? What are you going to do with your share? Right. He, he cares. He cares enough to ask Chewie about it. And, and in the previous scene in the mm-hmm. balcony, he asks him, so what's your name anyway? Right. Chewie has just been enslaved by the Empire. Now you have Han who's free with him, asking him his name, asking him what he wants out of life and and really caring about it. He he recognizes Chewie as a person and a person with desires and dreams just like himself. Uh, and I think that's what brings them together is they're both very loyal characters who have aspirations and recognize that those dreams can become more realized by doing it together. Um, and of right. course, it all it all comes kind of to a head when when Kira takes off and leaves Han behind Understandably so, right? Kira's doing this to protect Han, but Han doesn't know that. In that moment, Han right. just sees it as as a abandonment and probably betrayal. Um, but you know, I love the way that that scene is framed. It's just Han looking sadly up at the sky, and then out of the corner just comes this big Wookiee paw to rest on his shoulder. Right? Like you're not yeah. alone. I'm with you. And then you know, in the scene you record, you know, you pointed out the epilogue of the movie with them flying off. They they have found their home to fly among the stars, and the Falcon is their home. They they're doing this together, and uh, uh, not to be negative, right here at the end, the one thing that just drives me crazy about the end of the movie is I think the final shot should be the two of them together pushing that lever into light speed. I don't know why we get the dice dangling as the final shot. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, the final shot should be the two of them together pushing that lever into light speed. Um, that's, that's my one big critique of you, Mr. Ron Howard. What you should have cut it there to the credits <laughs> um, or just flip those shots or just flip know. them. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but all that to say, right. The movie ends with, uh, what Han has wanted is to fly among the stars and with a co-pilot. Again, he thought that would be Kira, but he found the the perfect co-pilot in Chewbacca. And the relationship that they have, right, which is clearly developed all the way up through Force Awakens, is what they have is something special. When Han mm-hmm. loses his son, when Han loses his you know his his marriage to Leia because of the loss of their son, who can he always come back to? Chewie. You know, I, I think. Their relationship in the original trilogy is so awesome, but to see where it came from and where it finds its anchor that we get in this movie, it just, when I walked out of that movie the first time, I remember just like, I didn't say it to Greg because he's not as sappy as me and and not not belittling Greg. He is a very heartfelt person, but I was just thinking, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I have Greg in my life. He is like a Chewbacca. Um, And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, and I have several people in my life that, that's, that are are wonderful co-pilots. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think that I know what I need 
to be there in life with me. And this movie reminds me that nah, sometimes it's not what you expect and it's, and it's better than what you expected. And I think that's what Han learns with Chewbacca. Um, and that is my absolute favorite thing about this movie. Oh, it's such a, such a good point and such a good, uh, good way to, to, to talk about all this because it is a bit of a love story. You're, you're right. It is a love story. It's not a, it's not a conventional love story. It's not a romantic love story, but it's like, this is these are two best friends finding each other and sometimes it's stronger than any love that you could have for family mm-hmm. uh, or some and it's sometimes stronger than any romantic love you could ever have with, for anybody so like this is you're you're absolutely right in describing it as a kind of love story um it's just it's so so very good uh and the last thing to talk about um, in this movie is is a is a a general thing bringing it back over to a thirty thousand foot view, and we've mentioned it all throughout this conversation is really just the fun and the mm. heart of this movie. Uh, it you said it earlier, you know you you had a grin from ear to ear the entire time you were watching the movie the first time you watched it. I still have a stupid grin on my face <laughs> so many times when I watch this movie. Uh, it really is just a fun adventure movie with a with great humor, uh, great romance moments between Han and Kira. Uh, it really is Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Star Wars. Um, like there's so many like Raiders of the Lost Ark moments in this movie. Uh, and I mean that as a compliment in the, in the best way possible. Um, but it really is the, the spirit and the heart of this movie is just fun. Mm. Uh, and, and that's okay. You know, and I, I think we've gotten to a point uh, in Star Wars where people, have said, you know, we want Star Wars to get darker and, you know, be more dramatic and stuff like that. And we've gotten some of that and people, there's people that absolutely love that. Um, and think that stuff is great for me. Star Wars has always been a fun escape. And, you know, while some of those darker, more dramatic elements are, are fantastic and important, uh, the the adventure of Star Wars is what hooked me in the first place and why I will keep coming back to go through some of these darker uh, moments in the story. Uh, so having a movie that understood that being a fun adventure is all it needed to be and executing that perfectly uh, is is the highest praise I can give this movie. And that ranks very high uh, in why I love Star Wars in general and why this movie is so high on my list of movies because it is a fun adventure. It understands its purpose. It understands what it is here to do. And it executes it absolutely perfectly, in my opinion. So I... We've we've talked about it. Uh, we've mentioned it all throughout our conversation. Um, but that sort of overall design of the movie, from the creative standpoint, is is my 
really, I think the, why I love the movie the most, um, mm. because it is fun. <laughs> it, it is fun. It, every time I watch the movie, every time I put on the soundtrack, I just, my mood changes. It goes, <laughs> it, it just elevates every time, you know, no matter what situation I'm in, I, I always end up in a better mood watching this movie or listening to the soundtrack of this movie. Um, and, and it is because of just the fun of this movie. And, and that's what makes this such a great, like blockbuster popcorn movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, that tracks so well for you, Jason. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, it's, that's it's, your star Wars energy is, is the fun and excitement. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and this movie is that in spades. Like, like, like I said earlier, if, Adventure, <laughs> the excitement. <laughs> a Jedi craves not these things, but Jason does. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Jason absolutely does. And, and that's why this movie is so oh, good for me. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> that's so perfect. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, to I made that point earlier, right? So Solo came out, what, six, not even six months after Last Jedi, which which was, you know, and still kind of remains one of the most divisive Star Wars movies. Um, and, and all that aside, I think, you know, the Disney era of Star Wars in from late 2017 into 2018 really showed us the breadth and depth that Star Wars storytelling can do. Last Jedi was a very new type of Star Wars movie. It was a, you know, it was a very serious, um, intelligent, dense movie. And then you get something like Solo. And, and again, this isn't about an either or. It's just like they're two very different types of flavors. If you sit down at, at the restaurant, you know, uh, my buddy Greg, you know, with his, his latest podcast talking about the Andor finale with, with other Greg and, and, and our, our pale uh, Jen, um, you know, Greg mentioned the fact that, you know, folks have talked about Andor being this really fancy uh, gourmet pizza, but sometimes you just want Domino's solo is Domino's and I love Domino's, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, right it, it, at the end of the day, like it just, it, it shows that there are all sorts of different flavors we're craving in star Wars. And, and I think a lot of us, we want kind of the diversity of flavors, but I'm kind of with you, Jason, yeah. I'm, I'm going to probably always land on something like solo, uh, at, at the forefront. Cause I, like you, I also really love the fun and the adventure, um, but if solo was just the fun and the adventure, it wouldn't be what it is for me. You know, it is, it is the fact that we go a little bit deeper. It's this unconventional love story. It's this story about an earnest hero seeking their dreams. It's all these mm -hmm. things, but what takes us on that journey is something tremendously fun. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. um, oh, Jason, everybody stand back. What do you got there? This is a thermal detonator that I just turned, that I just activated. That's a rock. That's a rock. No, it isn't. <laughs> yes, it is. And you made that clicking sound with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Please my tell goodness. me this isn't your plan. No, this is. <laughs> um, yeah. It, oh, gosh. I love this movie so much. Even though I just watched it this, this evening, I kind of want to go watch it again. Um, I know, right? <laughs> I, I've, I've had it playing on mute the entire time we've been talking. And, uh, Excellent. It, they're they're going through the mall right now, uh, uh, escaping uh, Kessel. So uh, yes, what fun! What fun! Um, yeah, well, what so, fun it is to ride in the Millennium Falcon tonight. Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
So anyway, you know, folks, there, there, those are some of the reasons that Jason and I, of course, love Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, and as always, we would love to know what it is you all love about this movie as well. Even even if it's not your favorite Star Wars movie or, or one of your favorites, I'm sure there's things about this movie you also really love. Because um, if you didn't, you probably wouldn't still be with us in this episode. So thank you for that. Uh, um, so as always, you know, we'd love to hear what you really like about this movie. Absolutely. And uh, Carl, if people want to weigh in on all of that, where uh, in the galaxy can people find us? <laughs> uh, well, we are on Instagram at The Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair and you can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Uh, anything else you want to say before we close out this rollicking fun episode? Oh, just what a great ride. It is a fantastic ride and a ride that we're continuing on our march to 500 episodes for the Wampas Lair podcast. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode. This has been episode 496 of the Wampus Lair podcast, Why We Love Solo. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.